it, but God's been answering uh, your prayers. If you've been praying for God to raise up workers for the harvest, he's been answering those prayers. Uh, in 2015, CMS sent a family to Japan. They sent another single girl to Japan. They sent a single girl to Nepal. And that's very exciting. But in 2016, let me give you the list of where CMS is sending and training people for. Cambodia, Italy, the Middle East, Vanuatu, the Philippines, Bolivia, Southeast Asia, South Africa and Kenya. God's answering our prayers of raising up workers for the harvest. That's very exciting, very exciting. And so I want, to, I want to urge you to continue to pray that God would continue to raise up more workers and as those workers go, they'll feel supported and that more people will come to know the Lord Jesus. And of course that takes, that takes finances and so I'm asking you to continue to be generous in your giving as we look to have a world that knows Jesus. Uh, let's pray and we'll look at this chapter in uh, Mark. Father, we do thank you for this great part of your gospel, the, the great news of Jesus. We do pray as we sit under this very familiar passage for many of us, that you will indeed teach us, that we might know what we need uh, to be taught by you and then apply it to our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, but I don't think any of you have been a, a Miss Universe or a Mr. Universe. Don't, 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 don't take me wrong. I, I'm not saying it because you don't look attractive. It's just I just don't think it would interest most of you. I mean, I don't know anyone who would want to go into one of those contests. Now, not that I've watched it, but it would seem to me from all the, the trailers I've seen that if in the Miss Universe contest in particular, when they are asked, what would you like most in the world? Can someone tell me what you think they would ask? What, what the answer is? World peace. world peace. That's it. We've got it stereotyped. See, we know. World peace. In fact, it's said that to give that answer, there is a better chance of winning because it's a political, politically neutral answer to give. But I wonder if, if you were interviewed, what you would say. I wonder what your desire is for the world in your time. I wonder what you want. I wonder what's the most important thing. So now for some of us, we would think globally, some of us would think of world peace. Particularly, you know, over the last couple of days, it just seems to Bigger belief as you read the newspapers and turn on the TV every day, there's something dramatic going on in the world. And so world peace would seem reasonable. Perhaps political stability. But maybe it's more closer to home. Perhaps you would say a cure for cancer. Or a strong marriage. Or a husband or a wife or a baby or a fulfilling career. But see, with most of those things, we actually can't do much about them. Today we look at this passage of Mark 2. It's a very well-known passage. 
story of four men who bring this paralytic man, this man who can't walk, to see Jesus. And I wonder if these four men were asked, what would you like to see change in the world? I wonder if they would say, I'd love a cure for my friend. It could very well be that that's what they would say. Let's read the first four verses. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. You can sense the urgency that these friends have. They get to this house and it's full. Now, Jesus has come back to Capernaum. We, we read he'd come back. He'd been in the region of Galilee. We see in chapter 1 that he taught in the synagogue, that he healed a, a man who was uh, possessed by an evil spirit. And he healed Peter, one of his disciples' mother-in-law. And from there he goes out to the villages and in chapter 2 he comes back to Capernaum. It could well be that this is at Peter's house. And the news is spread about Jesus. The people have heard what Jesus has been doing. They've heard about how Jesus has been teaching. And so this house is quickly full. So full that really there's no room to go in. There's an expectation about what Jesus might do here. There's an expectation about what Jesus may teach. And so people want to see and people want to hear. And of course the expectation was high too of these four men and their paralysed friend. You see the sick and the disease were a burden. In a time when there was no Medicare, there was no welfare system for those who couldn't earn a living, they just had to rely on other people. There was no rehabilitation clinics, there was no prospects for someone like this man. But this man was not a burden to his friends and so they brought him to Jesus. They carried him on a mat and if there was any chance that Jesus might heal their friend, they were willing to give it a shot. But of course, when they got there, the house was full. And so they climbed up the stairs out the side of the house. And this is nothing new in, in, in architecture in those days. Uh, in first century Palestine, the roof was often used for drying, uh, drying fruit. It'd be there sometimes in the summer evenings. People would sit on their roof just to, in the cool of the night. And so they carried the man on the mat up the stairs on the roof. Now here's the thing. They then start to dig through the roof. They're taking an enormous risk in digging through the house that's not their own. Right, it, it's, it's audacious. And they dig through and they lower the man through the roof to Jesus. Now, obviously they've got everyone's attention, haven't they? I wonder what Jesus would do. 
Would Jesus send them away? Would Jesus castigate them for ruining someone else's property? This is not your house, you can't destroy it. Come to verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I want to say three things about that verse. Firstly, Jesus' priority is forgiveness. That's the most important thing that Jesus can give anyone, is forgiveness. And he gave it to that man. It was more important than his need to walk. The man came to be healed and Jesus gave him something he didn't even know could be done. Forgave him for his sins. The man came with a great burden and another great burden was lifted from him. He'd come with the hope of being healed. So he thought forgiveness was not possible for a man like him. See, when we look at the world, we often think the same thing. The problem with people is they just need to be married. Well, they need to find a good job. They just need stability. They need more money. They need to be healed from this. They need a baby. All these things are the things that we think will fix people. These may be the external things we think might need to be fixed, but Jesus comes to heal the internal. The thing that everyone needs the most is forgiveness. Uh, one of the mistakes I often make as I stand up to preach is that I forget that there'll be generally people in the church who haven't yet received God's forgiveness. And so there may, may well be people here this morning who haven't received yet God's forgiveness. And I want to say that you can be forgiven and that only Jesus can forgive. No matter what you've done, it's not too late. You can find peace with God. You can assure up eternity with Jesus and all who follow him. Now, of course, men and women have been trying to get around the need for forgiveness since day one. No one likes to think they've actually done anything wrong that needs forgiving. This is because we generally have a higher opinion of ourselves than we should and a lower opinion of God than we should. See, we often understand sin more as something that we commit rather than a condition that we have. And when, it's, when we think of sin as just things we do, we often dismiss the things we do as not sinful. But, friends, we've, we've been sinful since the day we were born. It's the condition that we have. Have a listen to what Donald Trump says. I don't expect you to take his uh, advice either. <laughs> Donald Trump says, I have a great relationship with God. I like to be good. 
I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness. And I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. See, for Donald Trump, he doesn't do enough bad things to seem like he needs forgiveness. And that's how the world thinks. I do mostly good, therefore I don't need God's forgiveness. But friends, this is a fool's paradise. The general feeling that we're okay is just a human construct. That's just something we've invented ourselves. It's a theology of convenience. And the majority of the world are either running from God or they are running to God through false religion. But here we have a God who comes to us. Jesus comes into the world and forgives. He forgives right here and right now. He forgives for all those who believe and put their trust in him. Second thing I want to say from this verse is that Jesus rewarded their faith. But he rewarded them in a way they weren't expecting. And it appears that it is the faith of the friends, not so much the faith of the man who was paralysed. And I think this is a great encouragement for us. If you're here today praying for friends, praying for those who don't know Jesus, we can take something from this that God will reward the faith of those who pray that those do, do know that Jesus can and will do something. See, that faith will be rewarded, the faithfulness of the friend who continues to pray, the faithfulness of the friend who shares the good news of Jesus, the faithfulness of the friend who looks for opportunities to bring their non-Christian friends to mix with Christians and understand what it is to be forgiven. But there's something more going on in this verse. You see, those who were inflicted by some sort of disability or disease at this time were seen to be particularly bad sinners. They must have done something terribly wrong to not be able to walk. If it wasn't him, it must have been his parents. And he was being punished for the sin of something or someone close to him. And right there in front of everyone, Jesus forgives the man. See, if there was ever a sinner who needed forgiveness, according to the popular thought of the time, it was this man, but he was beyond it. But Jesus forgives him right there and then. And as Jesus does this, he does this in full view of all the religious leaders who are there watching. And here we're introduced to them for the first time in Mark. And they're not happy, but Jesus is ahead of them. Come to verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit 
that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? The religious leaders had their own system of religion. They liked to think that they were the gatekeepers to God, that they understood the law above all and they were able to hand out the law and tell people how to do it. But they had taken God's laws and abused them. They'd led people away from God. They'd actually become hard-hearted to God. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He's talking to the religious leaders and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. These are the guys that are in this room as this man is forgiven by Jesus. Now Jesus has a long-running battle with these religious leaders in the Gospels. Now the religious leaders here, they're trying to protect a God that they think they obey, but they do not. And they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. That is, saying things about God or from God that they have no authority to say. Now blasphemy is not just saying God's name in a bad way. It's actually saying that God has told me this is going to happen. If you're not a prophet, you can't say that. If you're not God's son, you can't say that. When Jesus says this man's sins are forgiven, the religious leaders go, hang on a minute, only God can do that. This Jesus guy, he has no authority to forgive sins, only God can do that. And so they pull Jesus up. No, they didn't. They didn't say anything. In fact, that's what they were thinking. And Jesus knows what they were thinking, which is another pointer as to whose authority he actually has. That he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And now Jesus turns the screw a bit more. Verse 9. Which is easier to say, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to or to say, get up. Take your mat and walk. What Jesus is saying is, it's really just as easy to say one or the other. They're both the same. Anyone can say them. Anyone can say your sins are forgiven. Or anyone can say, get up, take your mat and go home. Anyone can say them. But then he says, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic I tell you get up take your mat and go home he took up his mat walked out in full view of them all disamazed everyone and they praised God saying we have never seen anything like this Jesus just doesn't give them empty words 
So now, that he pro- now he proves that he has the power to forgive sins by telling the man to get up and walk and go home. Jesus proves he has the power to do it. He proves he has the power to do what they can't see by doing something that they can see but they can't do. Let me say that again. Jesus showed them that he has the power to do it when he does the very thing that they can't... When he, sorry, Jesus proves he has the power to do what they can't see by doing something miraculous that they can see but they can't do. And of course, everyone is amazed. Of course they're amazed. And for the third time in this, uh, in this very start of the book, Mark says the people are amazed. They haven't seen anything like this. God has actually come to town. God's turned up in the flesh in the form of Jesus and the people are amazed now there's a problem here that we might need to wrestle with and so I want to ask you are you coming to God with the urgent rather than the important could we be seeking God and hoping he will do the external thing for us rather than the internal Are we seeking God and asking him to do the things that we can see rather than actually forgiving us and working on our insides? You see, while on earth, Jesus came to show people who he was. And one of those ways was to heal and do the miraculous. They pointed to his supernatural power over sickness and evil and even death. And he was leading people to look at the most wonderful thing he did when he died on the cross and he rose again. See, friends, that's our sign. When we look at the cross and when we see the resurrection, that's our sign that Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins because he rose from the dead. God raised him. He raised him to be king over all the world, the true son of God. And that's how we know we can be forgiven. Because God died in our place. God died, God sent Jesus in our place to die for us. Jesus' priority on earth was that people would come to know him and follow him. He came to forgive. The miracles were a pointer to who he was and what he was able to do internally. You know, it's estimated there are 2.5 billion people in the world who do not know they can be forgiven by Jesus because they've never heard of him. And then there's the people who have heard, from Je- heard about Jesus but are running from him, who don't want to be forgiven. Friends, world peace is a myth. 
Because it can't happen until everyone knows Jesus. There will be no world peace until Jesus comes back again. So what are we doing about the ones who never hear? Well, we're praying, we're caring, we're sending, we're giving. And some of us may even be going. The world needs Jesus. You see, we spend so much time on political systems and humanitarian movements. They won't fix the world. Only Jesus can fix the world. Only forgiveness can be what changes people. Some of you here this morning need to know that you can be forgiven. Will you please continue to pray that you will play your part in world mission by praying and caring and giving or even going? And will you let God work through your prayer, your generosity and your availability to have a world that knows they can be forgiven and a world that knows Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the great gift of Jesus. We do thank you that he has the authority and the power to forgive and make us right with you. Father, we do pray that we will take and play our part in world mission, that we'll see the need and we'll do what you call us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.